question for you, young lady. Every one of the kids in this house is happy except for you. Why is that? No, What's your problem? Stop it! All I can say is that my life is very complicated. I'm sorry, but I didn't get half of what you said. This is a real Canadian movie podcast, Independent Investigation. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Becky Shrimpton, and this episode, my guest is documentarian Gaddy Conte George. Gaddy's latest film is Mr. Jane and Finch, which premieres Friday, February 22nd, 2019. That's this Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern on CBC Docs POV. And it'll be on CBC Gem after that. The film follows community activist and amateur documentarian 81-year-old Winston LaRose, known as Mr. Jane and Finch, as he runs for a seat on Toronto City Council in the 2018 civic election, one that was notoriously problematic for a number of reasons. The area of Jane and Finch in Toronto is a complicated topic and is the subject of a number of documentaries that we're going to discuss in this episode, so stay tuned for that. Winston LaRose is one of a kind, and his story is one you aren't going to want to miss. It's a stunning portrait of grassroots activism, powerful political ideas, and how change can and must happen. Here's Gaddy Conte-George. So I met uh, Winston um, in late 2016 through a mutual friend who had knew about his archive and thought that I would have some interest in it because I had just finished a short film about a um, black community activist um, who's uh, the legacy of him who and we use a lot of archival footage in that film so they're like you should meet this guy he also has a really huge archive and so I said as well you know uh, we finally met and um, yeah I was blown away when I saw some of his archive. What were the pieces of the archive that you were particularly fascinated by? Because the subject of the short film I had done was Dudley Laws, who's uh, uh, the spokesperson for the Black Action Defense Committee, who did a lot of protests against particularly police violence um, in the 80s and 90s. He had footage of him and like some great moments that I had heard about. And here I was sitting there watching. He, he, he was there. He'd filmed those moments. Um, that um, the Million Man March, um, he had uh, f- seen the footage of him um, at a rally in Cuba, Fidel Castro speaking wow. was incredible. Yeah, lots of interesting moments. That's so unbelievable. I mean, he's he's incredibly intelligent, and obviously he's kept a record of everything, and he has uh, an encyclopedic knowledge, it appears to be, of activism. And how did he intend to share that when you came along? How did that How did that work? He was kind of, because he'd done all this filming, and he hadn't really, because he's done so much in his life, he just had never really put t- it together anything together as a film, he was kind of open to the idea of, okay, whatever interests me, whatever story I wanted to do within his archive, he was happy. So that kind of gave me free reign, which is a kind of a blessing and a curse because you're like, Okay, 5,000 hours of footage. How do I narrow this down? <laughs> exactly. And I mean, you're focusing on one particular element of this man's incredibly fascinating life. Uh, well, of course, his run uh, in the 2018 municipal Toronto elections in the Jane and Finch ward. Why did you decide to focus on that specific time? Because literally, as we got the green light and we started filming, and we were filming him as a community activist, seeing his work in Jane and Finch, 
And then also as an archivist and his archive, mm-hmm. then he tells us he's running for city councilor. <laughs> of course he does. Yes. <laughs> so then you kind of, you know, you kind of have to be like, okay, the documentary gods are shining down on you, giving you this piece of gold that is, you know, the election process. I mean, I think the election process is always an interesting, fascinating thing to see. And then, you know, right after we found that out and we start following that story. And at that point, the story was still going to be about his archive. And this was just one element of the community work that he does, the campaign. But then Doug Ford decides to change things up and um, <laughs> make things much more interesting. So we kind of had to, you know, follow, we, we followed the drama and kind of followed and then in post-production was really when the campaign story really shone through as the 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 story of the active uh, story to follow and i mean you were live for a lot of things so i mean it is a story of a man but he is mr jane and finch and he is jane and finch so you see his reaction to all the things that are happening and of course as all the wards got combined if people don't know doug ford uh chopped the amount of wards that we had counselors for and so there it just became a massive brouhaha free-for-all of like previous incumbents having to fight against each other for for seats and some statements came out from some participants that were just mind-bogglingly racist especially when it came down to the Jane and Finch area which has always been a controversial area in Toronto how aware were you of the issues at Jane and Finch that you decided to pursue this yeah I was I was definitely aware of the issues in Jane and Finch and the stigma that came with that neighborhood Um, I'm not from Jane and Finch and so Initially, I was very like, okay, I want to make a film about Winston LaRose. I don't want to make a film about Janet Finch because I'm not from the community. And I feel like that is something that is better done by someone from that community. Because who, no one else has a better understanding than someone who lives there and who knows that, ex- that true experience. So I kind of did not really want to go there, but there was absolutely no way that I couldn't go there with the with his story because um so much of his story is Jane and Finch um so but I I always felt like the way I would tell that story was through his perspective and through his eyes and his entry point. And I think about uh, someone like Jennifer Hodge De Silva's home feeling uh, struggle for community where she sort of profiled what the police presence was like at Jane and Finch. And that was, I think, the late 70s, early 80s when she was she was shooting that footage. So it's interesting to see how little has changed in a lot of ways. There's still a lot of the same problems. And I mean, that's also just because the issues are so complex. Like there's not a simple answer. Um, even though Winston just says it's it's education. Do you think Winston, because he's so on the ground, has that awareness of what the community really needs more than someone who has like a broader picture view? Oh, for sure. For sure. hundred percent. Yes. Yes. That um, Jennifer Hodges de Silva's film, um, yeah, Home Feeling in 84, you know, is the seminal film on um, on the community. And there was a follow up done by Roger McTair, I believe, in the. I think it was in the 90s um, also. And so uh, I, I feel like, well, I was hoping that we would be able to continue where they left off or at least show you, um, you know, some of that 
perspective. But yeah, it was kind of crazy to see that because um, I'd watched that film many years ago. I'm a huge fan of those filmmakers. And so I did rewatch it when um, we started to realize that this film was going to have to include more about Jane and Finch. And to see that, yeah, the same issues are happening. I mean, it's so complex, but, and then I feel like that's why in, in, um, in my film, I wanted to show kind of how the Jane and Finch community came to be, because understanding where it came to be, then I think you can understand why those problems still exist. The, the population density, the last lack of community services, social services, the fact that, you know, the population exploded over a decade and you have, you know, over 30,000 people and you have, you don't even have one community center. Um, there's no libraries, there's no playgrounds, there's no all of this. So it just was this harsh, this community that was just poorly designed, poorly planned. And so it's no surprise that all these problems sprung from that. And then now to fix those problems is this massive uphill battle. Um, but the root, the root cause, I think, always needs to be addressed, um, and I and I feel like that kind of goes hand in hand with Winston's approach to kind of sol- solving the ills of the community, is to try to go back to the root problems and 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 fix it instead of adding band aids and um, being re- reactionary. Um, you know, more police is to stop the violence, but why not um, enrich the people that might try to go towards criminal activity because they have no jobs, they have no money, they don't have any education and work on those things. That was kind of his approach, which I loved to see that because that's what he does on a daily basis. He, the amount of youth that he has mentored in that community is crazy. The amount of people that have come up to us and have been like, yes, oh yeah, he mentored me 20 years ago. When I was having problems at school, he came in and prevented me from getting expelled. If that didn't happen, my life would be a different, would have turned out differently today. Oh, he saved my life. Oh, he intervened when the police were were questioning me about something. And he intervened and made sure that everything unfolded okay. Like there's, this is crazy the amount of stories that have come because he's helped people on an individual basis. And I think that's kind of the root of grassroots work. And I think that's something that people don't always see. You see when people talk about activism and change, it's always policy changes or these grand things that change, but you don't really see these small differences on the ground. There's probably hundreds of people who have, he has helped in some way, shape or form to change the course of their lives. And to me, that is, um, you know, the true unsung heroes that um, we need to hear more about. Agreed. And there's something very uh, almost frustrating in your film as you see all the good work he's doing on the individual level, but that his campaign where he'd be able to have more reach and more voice suffers because of his individual attention to people. And you would think that any counselor worth their salt would see him in the debates get what a valuable resource he is and use that as a resource, use that as a, as a point of communication in, in, into the community. Um, has any of that happened? I'm not sure how much of that has happened post campaign, but that has always been happening over the years. Like um, there was a moment in one debate where someone had asked the two incumbent counselors, oh, well, what have you done for the community or some kind of question like that? And one counselor listed off a few things that he had done for the community. 
but those things he'd done for the community were things that Winston had gone to him to get done. And, and he acknowledged it, which was kind of, you know, funny. You could just see Winston smile and nod his head because they had to give, you know, they had to acknowledge, oh, Winston did that. And so he's kind of almost been a de facto counselor, a counselor without a title in that community for the past 25 years. Um, and, you know, many people have said he should have done this a long time ago. And if he had done it 20 years ago when he was younger, he would have easily won, um, which was, you know, kind of frustrating to hear. Well, there's a frustration. Again, there's a frustration in general in, in the documentary because obviously he's he's affecting these touching young people. And these are people who are marginalized who need to be voting. These are the people whose vo- voices most need to be heard and be represented. And the voter turnout in Toronto for this previous election was repellent. It was 41% of the vo- voter population showed up. And so why aren't more people getting involved? Why is there this sense of apathy or, or even just, you know, sadness that people don't want to be there? They don't feel it affects them. Yeah, well, I feel I feel like um, the reduction in city councillors was definitely a, a, a big factor in this election because I feel like the percentage was much higher in the last municipal election. And I don't know if that was, again, <laughs> because of the Fords. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was over 60% last time. Right. And I, and I think that was as uh, people were coming out um, because they either wanted Doug Ford to be in office or not. Um, and so this time, I think it was the reverse of, you know, we've reduced, reduced city council. It wasn't a democratic democratic process to 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 have that reduction happen. So people say, why should I bother? You know, I'm I'm not involved in how the city in just the fact that the council the council numbers get reduced and there was no um, research to be done. There was no consultation done to come to that decision it was just done by a politician who had the power to do so i think people don't feel empowered um i don't think people feel like their voices are being heard and people protested but nothing came of it there was a court injunction nothing came of that you know and so i think people just kind of had this general apathy you know and i and i don't i don't blame them yeah especially as you sort of watch the coming gentrification of everything. I mean, Toronto very soon is going to be unlivable for anyone who makes under $80,000 a year. Uh, and what, what does a city look like then? And Jane and Finch, because it was it's in such an isolated location, I, I assume there was always like a feeling that they would be okay, but that's, the condos are coming. Is there that feeling happening? Definitely. I mean, the condos are coming because, you know what, the subway's there. The subway is, you know, is, is, is close enough now that it can be somewhere that's easily accessible. It's not a long bus ride away. It's a, it's a couple stops from a subway station. And the, the French LRT is, I, I, I think the construction has started, but that's, that's coming. So I think the developers are now, you know, salivating over this, you know, this new frontier of land to, to conquer. I mean, down the street uh, from Jane and Finch at Weston and Finch, there's been a, a, a bunch of condos go up. So it's people know it's coming. You know, the, the Toronto community housing, uh, there's a lot of, of Toronto community housing um, buildings or townhouses that have been condemned or closed down because of their disrepair. And what's going to come in, in their replacement? Look at Regent Park. It's condos, 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 and displacing people. So 
having that kind of track record, people can only assume the same thing is coming. How did you stay removed enough and not get emotionally involved to be able to let your subject do the talking? Oh, it's not hard to get Winston to talk. Oh. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> not no. at all. Not at all. He is. I mean, he has. He is a fountain of uh, of wisdom, and um, he's he's always willing to share it. And so um, it, it was not difficult to get him to talk at all. It was just um, deciding what to focus on because there was so much. Yeah. yeah. At any point, did you feel like you just wanted to give him a GoPro and just like attach him to him for the day and watch him go? <laughs> definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of what we did. We just had to chase him around and go, go, go because he does not stop. I mean, we had to multiple times we had to be like, can you walk a little bit slower? <laughs> <laughs> We've got these massive uh, cameras. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we got to keep up. Now, the other thing I really appreciated about the film is that you're dealing with very sensitive topics. And as you said, this is not your community, but you do have a history of making films about activism and about, uh, about human rights. How do you ensure that your biases stay out of this? Because obviously you have your own opinions and your own point of views. And this film is relatively just the fact. It's just a portrait of a man and what he's doing. That's, it's always the, the I think, hmm, let me see. I think co working collaboratively, I think uh, with my uh, co-writer and producer, Alison Duke, uh, she's a creative producer. So she, I definitely um, lean on her heavily for um, a lot of the, the creative process. And as well as our editor, Sonia Godin Togobo, She's uh, an, an incredible editor, you know, and, and most documentaries are made in post-production. And I think the three of us just work diligently to check ourselves and um, to check the story and make sure that we are um, telling a very balanced story. Uh, I think for me personally, I think one of the reasons why I want to tell these stories is that so much of what's out there are clouded with bias and um, especially films that involve um, black people or um, of the African diaspora, there's, there are many things that are, are just steeped in bias. So I think just coming from that perspective, I always check myself and make sure that um, I am just trying to hold myself to a higher standard and making sure that I'm telling an honest story. Can you tell me a little bit about Oya Media Group, how it came to be and what your mandate is? Yes, Oya Media Group was founded by, by myself and uh, my producing partner, Allison Duke. Um, it was formed last year and uh, this is our first production together under Oya, but we have worked together in the past. Um, and I think we just were at a point and I think both of our careers were it just makes more sense pairing up and working together and joining forces to make something bigger. I think too often we work in our silos and um, and have a, have a more difficult time. And we sh we both love the way we work. She's worked so hard. I work hard. We, I think we have the same work ethic. I think we have the same kind of um, intentions of the stories that we want to tell. Um, the same kinds of stories excite us and interest us. So it just kind of, it just made sense. And um, so I guess our mandate is really just to uh, tell stories of, of, of social justice and to tell stories of the African diaspora to, 
you know, just really give voice to people and to and to experiences that aren't always um, shared and covered. Um, there's so much out there, and I think we're at a Zeitgeist right now where um, there's a thirst for this. There's a huge thirst for this, and so we just, just want to fill that. Great. And of course, uh, the film is going to be on uh, CBC Docs uh, Friday, February 22nd, 2019, and it's going to be on CBC Gem after that, which if you don't have the CBC Gem app, what are you doing with your time? I do have to ask, just as we end, uh, is there a film that you love from Canada that you think people should check out? Oh, gosh, there's so many. I've been thinking about this. Of course, I have to pick a documentary. Of course. But, or, or should I not? Oh, can I, I say more than one? <laughs> this is what happens to everybody. Um, okay, so one film that I love, I, well, there's a few. So there's 65 Red Roses, which is a great documentary by um, Namisha Mukherjee, I believe is how you pronounce her last name, 65 Red Roses. That's, that's an incredible documentary that um, she directed a few years ago. Uh, in terms of fiction, I really love um, Charles Officer's um, Nurse Fighter Boy. Nurse Fighter Boy. That another one, um, that's another film I love. Uh, Let's see, Raising Cain by Alison Duke, seminal documentary of on um, Canadian hip hop and the Canadian hip hop scene made back in the in the late '90s, I believe. Um, that's another amazing one. Um, I could go on and I know, on. You're full so I'll of leave them. it with you love those. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great. There's there's so much great Canadian talent and so many so many great Canadian films out there. So. What do you feel like Canadian artists need more from either the public or from uh, the government to to support them and support what they're doing? Ooh, where do I start? No, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I feel like we do have a lot of support. I think it's just I think um, giving, spreading the support out. I, I think I often see a lot of the support going to the same places, and I just feel like a lot of us slip through the cracks because we just can't crack 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 those gatekeepers i think uh the just the the i think the more opportunities to i think develop more talent um so more people can get to the position of getting the funding that's needed to make their films out there um but i i think in general i think our industry is is doing a a pretty decent job of that. Um, I think it's just connecting to the to to that. I mean, on on, on that note, um, myself and Allison, we do run a, a program called Pathways to Industry, which is a a program to give connections to um, uh, Black youth that are postgraduates uh, from 18 to 25 into the film industry, and we've, we're we're in our first year, and it's it's been incredible just opening. Um, their eyes to what the possibilities of uh, of the industry could be for them in so many different areas and disciplines. That's phenomenal. Uh, how do people find out more about that? Is there a website? Um, in the works. Uh, for now, you can go to, uh, well, oyamediagroup.com will be up and running you know, probably in the next couple of weeks, but um, you can go to Allison um, Duke's website. I believe it's Goldilocks Productions um, uh, dot com, or uh, also our website for the film, MrJaneandFinch.com, 
um, we'll also have links to to get to where you need to get more information. Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining me today, Gaddy. All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.